Welcome to Two Dudes, One Movie Podcast, the podcast where two dudes dive into cinematic masterpieces from a different decade each week. Right now, we're in between seasons, and so instead of our regular scheduled programming, we're here with something new. It's time for some debates. And our debate today is going to be a good one. Is Oppenheimer Nolan's best film? Rick, you and I both feel passionate about our sides on this film. This is probably the most notes I've ever written for a debate in my entire life. So I'm excited to get into it. Do you usually write notes? When was your last debate? Do you usually write notes for debates? I did one debate in college for okay. a um, ethics class. Ooh, Park, you're, you're seasoned. You're a veteran. I'm ready, Rick. I'm ready to go. I've uh, never had a formal debate, but this, this is as anyone... New... Yeah. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, Park, as anyone with a Reddit account, you always have a little bit of your debate side, you know? Rick, rule number one of debates, never apologize for talking over somebody. That is true. We found we saw that in almost every single presidential election. It's true. It's true. That's how you get elected to become president, Rick. And I think if this is successful, Park, we have to do... A, that presidential debate, I think it was like Mitt Romney and Obama, where they were in like a circle and they were like <laughs> they were walking around in a circle other. around each other. Yeah. So if you guys like this, when Park and I are IRL together, we'll make it happen. We're going to circle each other, baby. We're just going to circle. All right. Before we jump into it, why don't we uh, explain the ground rules? So here it is. This is how it's going to work. Both sides will get a chance to share their thoughts and opinions without interruption. Uh, we're going to try and keep it short, three to five minutes max. Rick, I'm looking at you. I know you can go on and on. I'm just kidding. I ramble more than you do. But you're going to clock pork. We're going we're gonna to keep it short for everybody. Um, and then after that, we're going to have a short rebuttal session. And that is the time where we can talk over each other all we want. Anything is fair game during that time, Rick. Uh, after that, it's up to you, you the listener. You decide who wins the debate. So make sure to share, like, and comment who you felt like won today's debate. It's, it's the giving them so much power, Bork. It really is, but that's what we're here. That's what we're all about at the Two Dudes, One Movie podcast. We're here to empower our audience. Uh, but listen, you really need to do that. You really need to comment and share it because it's the only way for us to feel any emotional satisfaction after this. Uh, so we're really counting on all of our listeners out there to make their decision known. And it's who won the debate. It's not your personal preference on the movie. I no. feel like it should be the... Well, if you want to include that after you... You can include that, yeah. But first and foremost, you have to say, I won the debate. And then I'll just think they're a liar. All right. Rick, we decided for this first debate, I am going to go first on this. So are you ready? I'm ready, Park. All right. Is Oppenheimer Nolan's best film? Rick, I got to start off by saying there is a difference between preference and prestige. Pun intended. Listen, there's no debate. If Oppenheimer isn't your cup of tea, it's not your favorite movie. But Rick, just because something's not your personal favorite movie does not mean it's not objectively Nolan's best film. Oppenheimer is the culmination of all of Christopher Nolan's work 
in movies, from Interstellar to Dunkirk, Memento, even following. Once again, he perfectly incorporates nonlinear storytelling into his film. You see clear inspirations from Memento in the way he utilizes color to keep us in reference with which timeline we are in a way that probably results in the most satisfying, emotionally resonating conclusion to one of his films ever. Also, Rick, I don't know if you've heard of this little rumor, but this film was shot entirely practical. All the visual effects shots are actually special effects shots with use and incorporation of miniatures. This was something he utilized a lot in Interstellar. And again, I think he elevates it to another level when we get to the Trinity test. Also, the way that these shots are intercut at times in scenes really creates an emotional response. It's what cinema is meant to be at its purest form. Images on a screen with a combination of audio elements to create something magical. Rick, this movie does something in contrast to what a lot of Nolan films do, and I think it's what it does absolutely distinguishes it and elevates it over his other work, and that's the fact that this is a character piece. We haven't gotten a deep dive into a character like this in a Nolan film, since the Dark Knight trilogy. Usually, Nolan is so fixated on plot and story structure that that becomes the focus of his films. Just look at Tenet. But this film is deeply rooted in character, and I say this all the time on the podcast, a great movie is won and lost by its characters, not its plot. Uh, And because of that, Rick, and because of that with this film, it creates a level of nuance that can't be matched in any other Nolan film. Maybe The Dark Knight, but that would be it. Nolan wrote this film in the first person, and because of that dedication to the character, we feel what Oppenheimer feels. We sense what Oppenheimer senses. We understand the gravity and the situation and the complete dismal loss he succumbs to over the choices that he's made over the course of this film and his life. Also, Rick, this is Nolan's most daring film and potentially most abstract. The fact that there are sequences on the screen that are purely designed to evoke emotion from the audience and get into the headspace of a character is is unequivocally unique to Nolan and a welcome addition to his repertoire. I think back to the first half of the film in the interrogation scene where Kitty is imagining Jean with her husband. What a powerful way to know everything you need to know about a relationship and a dynamic in that film. Speaking of relationships and characters, this film is star-studded. It's probably Nolan's largest cast and filled with some of the best performances ever in a Christopher Nolan film. Killian Murphy will be the next actor in a Nolan film to receive an Oscar since Heath Ledger. Mark my words on that, Rick. And you could even argue that Robert Downey Jr. could be in that position as well. And, and, and besides those two, how about Emily Blunt in this film? 
even the side characters, even the smaller roles of the film feel so fully realized, which is such an incredible feat to do. It's so difficult to make all of your characters feel so three-dimensional. Nolan does it at an exceptional level in this film. Also, this cannot go understated, Rick. The complexity of this film is is uncomparable. The way the story elements and beats are interwoven into each other so seamlessly is such an incredible sense of artistry. You know, I got a few more things I want to talk about, but I got to start wrapping it up. I got to say, though, the score of this film is probably one of the best scores from a Nolan film with some of the most memorable pieces of music. Just go and listen to the song, Can You Hear the Music? Incredible. Finally, I got to talk about the pacing and editing of this film. It's like no other of his films. At three hours long, a lot of time this movie is people talking in rooms at each other. And because of that, this film should be a slog to get through, but it moves so quickly and so efficiently. There are so many character dynamics and layers in the writing and performances that it keeps you fully invested past the Trinity test all the way to the ending, which I again believe to be one of the best and arguably most important endings to a film in the 21st century. Rick, this is not a debate of preference. This is a debate of objective technicality. And because of that, I believe it's Nolan's best film. Park, that's awful. <laughs> I, first of all, I was going to start this differently. I'm going to start this now. It is absolutely wild to me, even if you think this film is the best of his of all of his work, that you're saying that's the best score. I think that's absolutely insane. The I personally, I, not even personal, the Inception score is by far the best score Nolan has ever had. You mean the wah? Oh, sorry. I'm not supposed to talk during this. Yeah, Park. Let's calm down real quick. I could have I could have chimed in a lot of times. Park, this movie is best characterized by a quote that I saw. It feels like a marathon while holding in explosive diarrhea. The movie can't wait to see the finish line. Now, I want to go to the previews of the movie. Like, what was drawing people into the movie was the explosion. It was the practical effects. Then you go into the movie, and you're like, Nolan, I feel like is in between... He's in between a character piece... In like a character piece kind of movie and a BBC documentary. He doesn't really know what he wants to do. So before I dive in, here's where I kind of rank it. I I definitely do not think it's a bad movie. So whatever I say, it's not bad. This is objectively mid, I would say. Um, I think Dunkirk... So Dunkirk to me is one that's not personal preference, but I think is objectively a great movie. I will say that. I can't throw Dunkirk anything even though it's not my cup of tea. I also have in the top five, Dunkirk, The Prestige, Dark Knight, Interstellar, Inception. I think Dark Knight's completely carried by one actor, but I have to put it there because it's one of the greatest acting performances I think we've ever seen in, in Dark Knight. I have just missing the top five, Oppenheimer. I said possibly a top five if you watch it for the very first time, unspoiled as Memento. And then I have top five vision, bottom five execution as Tenet, and I didn't decide to rank the others. My apologies. So, this movie... It was three hours long. That's correct, Park, the runtime? Three exactly. hours long. Three hours. Yep, I, it might have been a minute or two over three hours. I think this movie felt so cramped somehow. The dialogue felt cramped. Everything about it felt cramped. And it seems like they didn't really know. I guess they kind of knew where it was going. I don't think having an interwoven story 
to me signifies that you're doing something great. I just watched uh, the season one ending of One Tree Hill. And there's interwoven storylines in the season ending of One Tree Hill. And it flows. It does okay. It does its job. While they're playing a basketball game in present day, it's picking out little parts of the futures and the past. And I was like, oh, that's a kind of a good ending to One Tree Hill. Doesn't mean it's great, right? Just because you do a multiverse movie doesn't mean it's amazing. So, I also think that Nolan is by far, he's probably the best tentacle director. Um... I think he's like, he's an amazing technical director. I think he's everything Michael Bay wants to be that Michael Bay is not. I don't, I think Nolan, that being said, I don't think Nolan is great at writing scripts by any means. Um, again, I think it felt rushed and cramped throughout the movie. I think the dialogue was, I think the dialogue was mid, to be honest. Uh, I think this was a great drinking game to play called Guess the C-List Actor. I think Nolan always has really weird things with casting in his movies um the dark knight used real cops that was kind of odd to me uh florence Pugh's character was kind of odd to me uh, having josh peck with his little smirk from jake and josh was a little odd to me very proud of josh peck for getting the role i guess that's a huge achievement and he's very proud of it as what he said in a podcast um dialogue heavy but dialogue is mid i wrote that down again park uh, i also said i have a lot of hit points you're obviously the better debater here i'm just i'm just trying to weave my way in and out. Uh, this movie feels like it was made in 57 days, which is not a great thing in my opinion. And I personally believe, Park, if this movie, if you had unknown actors, even if you had Killian Murphy and unknown actors by his side, it would have flopped. That's because I don't think the script is that great at all. I think you have an incredible actor in Killian Murphy. I'm currently watching Peaky Blinders. He's absolutely insane in Peaky Blinders, just as he is in this movie. Uh, I agree that he probably has a great chance of winning an Oscar. Um, I personally think because the Oscar is very, uh, I guess, not not objective. I'll just say it. The Oscar is not objective by any means to who's the best winner. Uh, I would say RDJ has more of a chance than him. Not because RDJ was better or worse, but because they're going to give RDJ the Brendan Fraser Oscar award, I would say, of that. It's, it's a great role. Right, Brendan Fraser was awesome, but I don't think that it's I don't think that RDJ is gonna have the best role supporting actor role of the year. Um, and I also want to say is I think when people come out of this movie, this is my last point, then we'll get into our little debate section. When people come out of this movie, their first thought, generally, whether you like it or not, I feel like has to do with how much I guess you like the movie in a way. It's nothing to do with the movie itself. I feel like when people saw, I'm just going to compare Barbie because they were on the same day. Um, I guess I have my opinions. Everyone has their opinions and things about Barbie. I feel like every conversation I had the week after Barbie was about all these interwoven topics into Barbie, whether it was like feminism or whether it was all these different things, not just the thing itself. All the conversations I've had about Oppenheimer, uh, whether it was, I guess, me bringing it up or not bringing it up, because I, again, have always said this conversation, I always said this movie was made. It always has to do with if this movie is mid or not. It never has to do with the deep, the deeper things. I think that a lot of better emotion, you said this, this was a lot of emotion was conveyed in this movie. I heavily disagree. I think emotion could have been a lot better. I think we could have seen a lot of other things with that era. Um, I think you could have saw a lot of different emotions around like existentialism and other things that could have been explored here. I also think as a biopic, it's not great because a lot of things were left out uh, that could have easily been in here. Um, I mean, 
if you're doing a biopic, might as well do it more than just this little segment of his life. I know that his his daughter killed herself, which is a big, very big thing. There is a fatal radiation incident in Los Alamos that was a little chimed too, because he had this little vision and someone was vomiting in his vision when he was accepting this, having some speech. So I guess they nodded to that, but they didn't want to give any other thing. Also, there was like a famous temper tantrum that Oppenheimer in real life had of that he wanted, he didn't think that they should have tested the bomb. They should have just tested it on a real subject, not in the middle of the desert. So I feel like if it was an actual biopic, there's other important things that could have been in there rather than just uh, Killian Murphy staring at me from a giant IMAX screen. Also, like, why is this an IMAX movie for just a, a few awesome shots? It's really odd to me. But really, what is an IMAX movie? That's not my, not my cup of tea. So I guess those are my uh, closing points. I don't think it's perfect uh, objectively. I, honestly, I think objectively it's not perfect. I know I mentioned the score. I think the score is better there. I think Nolan isn't great at character pieces. I think he's great. And the the genius of Nolan is Dunkirk, right? I think the genius of Nolan is the prestige, uh, which to me has a way better plot and like execution of plot than this movie. Uh, Dark Knight. Interstellar has some weak moments. Inception is my subjective favorite movie. Inception to me is not his best movie. I would say Dunkirk is his. Dunkirk is his objectively best movie, I guess would be my final sentence. Rick, it's, uh, it's interesting. You talk about how this biopic left out a lot of things, but at the start of your debate, the start of your stance, you were comparing it uh, to a BBC documentary and that being a negative. And let me just remind you that a biopic is not meant to be a documentary. And there are certain things that are relevant to the actual story being told. And the story that was being told was the Strauss incident in Oppenheimer's life post-World War II and the leading up to the Trinity test. And while there are other interesting things that happen in Oppenheimer's life, if they're not relevant to the overarching story and the things that are being focused on... So communism is relevant to the overarching story? Yes, because communism is at the central is part of the central drama of whether Oppenheimer can be trust in leading the Manhattan Project on whether he can bring certain scientists together. It's relevant to the whole other aspect of the film post World War II, where Russia is is has you know leaked the information and is testing their own nuclear bombs and now there's the push to create the hydrogen bomb and so see park i see that's where i think they're in between it i think they're in between the bbc documentary and the biopic because there's things that i feel like were left out that you would still want in the biopic like if you're really trying to explore all the emotions and nuances of oppenheimer in los alamos there's other things that he did in los alamos that like were in that exact same period yeah, but it's not It's not just all about Los Alamos. If it was all about Los Alamos, the film would have ended when they dropped the bomb. Better. It would have been a lot better. I don't know about that, Rick. But there's more to this story by incorporating the Strauss story elements and the story beats there. Um, the, it, I don't even know. It just... Th there's more to it. And so... The bomb dropping happens, but you've got that whole last hour of the film that is detailing 
Oppenheimer's emotional guilt for what he has created and built and what he feels like he has to go through for what he has done. And then to end it all off, we we get exactly the dread and feeling and, and fear that Oppenheimer has for what he believes the future of humanity to be. And it's an, it's an inevitable destruction. I get, I, and I would agree. A lot of people that uh, don't like how long the movie was want to cut out the final part. I like the final part. I honestly, I liked everything from the bomb drop to the end. I think that's, that's probably my highlight uh, of the movie. Even though I haven't actually done a lot of research into it. I heard a lot of some things in the setup of the court scenes and things were pretty fabricated, which is, I thought was interesting. Someone can do that research. I don't know if it's actually true or not. Again, though, um, it's a it's a biopic meant for entertainment, not meant to be a documentary. If you want absolute truth, go to the history books. Go watch your BBC documentary, Rick. Well, Parker, if you wanted entertainment, this should have been 30 minutes less because there's a lot of other things that you could have cut out. Rick, I don't know what you're That's talking all, about. Honestly, I was thoroughly entertained from start to finish and i saw this movie three times in theaters i know i think that's absolutely insane <laughs> i don't know what to tell you <laughs> but I, okay so again i'm not trying to argue this movie is bad by any means oh i know I'm not, i just don't think this i don't think this movie is perfect well rick you gotta also think about this movie again is the culmination of everything that nolan has done up to this point everything that we've seen in other nolan films he builds upon interstellar with the miniatures and the special effects memento and tenet with the nonlinear storytelling uh comparing tenet to anything is not a great not a great point tenet was a convoluted (laughs) mess just as this one to me was not a convoluted mess i will say like i understood what was going on i just think that it's not it's weird for me to say just because someone is doing an interwoven story that that includes a lot of lazy dialogue is this incredible thing. I don't think it's lazy dialogue at all. I've, you know, the more you go back and watch this film, the more you're going to realize that every little piece of dialogue has some sort of meaning. Lazy dialogue is when an actor is speaking, a character is speaking, and there, there's really no point or necessity to the words that are being said because it's not delving into new information or it's not moving the story forward. But in any and every situation, whenever a character is speaking, the story is moving forward or information is being conveyed to the audience so that they can understand what is happening on the screen. Also, let's talk about how he takes such heavy and dense information on physics and uh, theoretical stuff and makes it so easy and accessible for people to follow along with as well. That's not an easy feat to do. That's sixth grade science, though, right? Uh, I, I don't know about that, but I mean, you could go back. You, you understood everything in that movie, Park? You understand it to the extent of what you need to understand it. I mean, you can go back and look at Interstellar, and there's a lot of dense stuff there, and it's a lot more difficult to follow along to some of the science that's going on at times. And even to the point in the third act, in the climax, where things get a little too crazy or even tenet where things that film is super convoluted and and how people can follow along to it i still after i saw tenet i had to come home and watch youtube videos to try and understand everything that was going on in the third act of that film and so the fact that in a three-hour movie with so much information so much 
content to get through to completely understand everything so easily is an incredible achievement. But again, it's like if you knew, like to me, everything I knew about Oppenheimer before I watched the movie is the same exact things I knew about him after I watched the movie. So I feel like there needs to be something else that I should get out. Whereas like for me, I'll even go with his other movies. It's hard to compare his movies because obviously this one is very different. Um, I think if you read what Incept, like, like the an original preview of Inception and like reading like what Inception is, it sounds absolutely crazy. But then when you watch the movie, it's like everything is interwoven really well and it works and it's absolutely incredible. So I think to for me, it may, and I guess this, I don't even know if this is objective or subjective, but I think it's absolutely crazy to say like if I, if I asked anyone like would you rather more movies to be made like Oppenheimer or more movies made like Inception? I do think, I would even go more movies made like Tenet. I'd rather see way more movies made with that goal of Tenet. I love, because I love that the vision, there's so much vision there. I don't think there was a lot of vision here because there's just, we know the simple story of Oppenheimer and he built on it a little bit. I think he, I think he did ignore a lot of side characters. Well, again, you, you got to prioritize things and it's already a three hour film. So what are you, what are you going to prioritize and, and how can you make the tightest film possible? But also, Rick, I have to ask you the question. What do you think, what, what is this film about? What is it, what is it about to you? Well, you, you've already answered it's about Oppenheimer. Yeah, but, but beyond that, what's the meaning, what's the message behind it? See, to me, I didn't feel a lot of message. I felt like it, what it was trying to say at the end when you, there is almost this sense, that like sense of guilt. I think there's a lot of sense of a, one, like you can tell this movie is built for Americans, rather a global audience. I think there's a lot of little lines of dialogue in there. So I think this is a, the message, how I saw it, was a message to Americans. You shouldn't have dropped the bomb, I guess. I don't know. I think Because you would feel guilty. I think it's end. a message of caution. A message to understand that we can destroy each other. And in, in a, a world now where nuclear bomb threats are thrown around willy-nilly, this is more of a poignant message than ever before. And why the message of this film in my opinion, is, is one of the most important messages and endings of a film in the history of cinema. And that's just another reason to put it above everything else. You can, sure, a, a bunch of other Nolan films are entertaining, and for a lot of people, they're more entertaining than this film, but nothing is more important than what is being conveyed in this film. Nothing is the greatest. The great one of the greatest endings in the history of cinema. One of them, I I I believe that. That's that's crazy. We've seen endings like that, not to the degree of nuclear weapons. We've seen endings like that in countless war movies. That is a, a very similar thing of just tearing each other apart. Like these are not these are not new ideas. Rick, they're not new ideas, but they they illuminate the really harsh realities in a very emotionally compelling way and in a very efficient way as well i again don't think it's an efficient way i think an efficient way is making a more entertaining movie <laughs> well i think we're gonna have to start wrapping this one up rick so i have one closing comment all right rick. give me your closing comment rick the very first thing i heard you say about this movie that it's not for everyone which is the least compelling case ever to be nolan's number one movie 
again, it's not a mo- it's not a uh, debate on preference. It's a, ba- a debate on technical achievement, in my opinion. And that's how you have to rate films by best to worst. Because but you gave a lot of a you gave you said a lot of feelings in this movie. You said like what you feel the message is, what you felt the score was. So like all these are subjective things to get to your objective point. Yes, but at the same time, it's that's just the language that I'm using. But it, the message is the message, whether however you want to say it. It's a very specific thing. The score and the technicality of the score. Can you hear the music? is almost considered to be an impossible song to to play. It's that technically constructed. So it's all about the technicalities of the film that elevated above everything else, in my opinion. And that's where I'm going to end my argument. I still feel like we had an argument over subjectivity and objectivity, which I guess is a... Well, Rick, to be fair, if, I, wrote, if, I wrote objectively in your in, as the first note I wrote about you. Yeah, well, I didn't even. Rick, and that's that's how I, you have to approach it is because subjectively this film could be anyone's best or worst, but you have to look at it from more of a technical standpoint. It's true, but I don't think we made either of us made any points for anything of ob- objectivity here. Objectivity, the greatest explosion in cinema. I'll give you that. Well, Rick, we're just gonna have to leave it to the hands of the audience. So what did you guys think? Who won this debate? The only way we're going to have a definitive answer on that is if you comment below. Like, comment, share, let us know who won this debate, and we look forward to the next debate.